I remember the paint always caked along the edges of his old fingernails. He had these withered hands. They're weathered over a lot of years. And I can remember those hands shaking with that constant tremor while he sipped a glass of iced tea on the front porch. And yet, unexplainably, I'd watch those same hands move with precision, no sign of the tremor, when he grabbed a paintbrush and dipped it in a little paint and it slipped across another plywood sign. Watching red paint was like watching a ballet. Each stroke was flawless, the result of 75 years or more of practice. Red, which is the perfect name for an artist, a sign painter, had been painting the signs in Valdosta, Georgia, where I was born, long before graphic designers came and took over. Every sign in town, from the Methodist church to the bait shop, from the barber shop to the bank, was painted by Red. If you wanted a sign painted, you didn't call Red up because he didn't have a telephone, okay? You drove to Red's house under these tall pine trees, drove down the gravel back alleyway, and there in the back shop, it kind of had this tilt to it, this lean, and you walked into that shop, and you told Red what you wanted while Red fed goldfish in his green swimming pool out the shop window, okay? That was Red. He painted every sign that people asked for. If you wanted a sign, Red could paint it, including the sign that hung above the Church of Christ, Central Avenue Church of Christ Parsonage, the day my parents brought me home from the hospital. Welcome home, Eric, it said. And there was this fish, a bass, jumping from the water and twisting in the air. Because while Red was paid to paint, he was called to fish, as he often said. <laughs> and those same withered hands that I watched painting so many times, those same hands that rubbed my head more times than I can count, were the hands that placed a thumb on my thumb and taught me how to cast an old Zepco, his thumb on mine. Red had had two heart attacks by the time I reached my teenage years. One was during a fishing trip that almost did him in, and so when he somehow survived that, I was convinced Red would live forever. And so one day when we met him for lunch, he came home that afternoon from the doctor with a bad diagnosis, but I was fairly sure that he would somehow see this through too, congestive heart failure or not. But later that afternoon, while I sat beside him in his favorite chair, and we watched his favorite team on TV, the Atlanta Braves, one final heart attack proved too much, even for Red. And I can remember his wife walking up to him in those last moments and saying, it's okay, honey, I love you. And while she did that, I just buried my face in the chest of this dear friend and just sobbed. And I can remember when the paramedics came and she looked at me, his wife, with this calm solemnity and said, Eric, they are going to take him away now. They are going to take him away. Before there was Easter, before Peter at Pentecost could preach about the forgiveness of sins, before Paul spoke about how the cross made peace or of God's victory over death, before he spoke of how we, the baptized, have been buried and raised along with Christ, before Jesus was crowned with glory and honor and ancient promises to King David were finally kept, and before all the world was blessed through the seed of Abraham, and before, as Hebrews tells us, those of us who have been in slavery to the bond bondage of fear and death all our lives before we were freed, before all of that, there's only darkness. 
and this feeling that they, they caused this. It's there in the still dark we find Mary. She's struggling along, trying to make out the trail. She curses this darkness that has set in on the land since Jesus breathed his last. Curses them, all of them. They, Pilate, Herod, Judas. How many times had she sat right beside Judas to listen to Jesus speak? The thought, it sickens her. They, those soldiers who hammered the nails into Jesus' hands, pierced his side. They who shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. They, and now, and now to top it all off, they are the ones who were given his body to care for. Members of the Sanhedrin, Joseph and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, the same guy who came to Jesus in the middle of a dark night like this one because he was too afraid to be seen in the light. Had he really changed, she wondered, doubtful. Should have been us, she mumbles under her breath. They didn't have the right. She's always felt this way. This odd suspicion that she and all of us really, that we're all just kind of at the mercy of forces beyond our control. Fate, the principalities, powers, people, economies, sicknesses, those things that just deal in death and darkness like this. Even Jesus couldn't escape them, she says. They always win, don't they? She trips again. It is so hard to see in the dark. And the thought reminds her of Jesus, reminds her of his eyes. She remembers those eyes. She remembers when he stormed into the temple and overturned the tables of those who were praying on the poor and how his eyes were full of fire. And she remembers when he stood over that woman who was caught in adultery and his eyes were strangely warm as he looked down on her. But then she remembers just a few days ago how she had watched the light of the world, which was always present in those eyes, had watched it go dim and then strangely dark, death and dark. She, she can't help but remember what Jesus said. He seemed so genuine, so believable when he said it, that he who follows me will never walk in darkness. How can he have been so wrong? She thinks as she does that very thing. Well, this isn't his fault, she reminds herself, they, they did this. And it's just then when she's in the deepest dark, in that pit of despair that she arrives at the tomb of Jesus. Only the stone's been rolled away. And she looks inside and it is empty. And she runs. She doesn't know where she's running. She just runs. And she doesn't even realize while she's running that the Sunday morning sun is rising ever so slightly. And it's lighting the path in front of her as her sandaled feet just pound the dirt. They have taken him, she cries. And we don't know where they've put him. Peter and John jump to their feet. 
And they run past her, and as they do, they begin to think about, they begin to put faces to who these people are she has just accused, they. This is, this is really all the two of them have done for the last few days. They've been holed up in this little room behind locked doors, afraid even to light a candle for fear that the light will attract the darkness to them. They watched and saw what they did to Jesus, and now the two of them have this suspicion that they are coming for Peter and John too. But strangely enough, they find themselves running towards death now. Find themselves running towards this ancient graveyard, this this tomb. And as they stumble into the doorway that's cleft into the rock of Jesus' tomb, and as they peer into the darkness, the scene reminds them of another tomb and another death. The two of them, John and Peter, had known Lazarus really well. He was a friend, brother to Mary and Martha. And so they knew when he got sick. And they showed up when he got sick, and they can remember when Mary and Martha were saying what they were saying. The doctors can't do anything, they said. There's nothing they can do. The sicknesses in that world were cruel and indiscriminate. There was leprosy, epilepsy, fevers, bleeding. They were indiscriminate, like I said. They attacked women like Peter's own mom, remember that? They attacked women like that one that crawled through the crowd just so that she could touch Jesus' cloak and so maybe be healed. And they attacked this little boy who convulsed randomly and fell into fires and burned himself. And they even, they even took this little girl who despite the prayers of everyone around her, is taken. And Jairus learns about it, her dad, when they say, don't bother the teacher anymore. There's nothing else he can do. And now they've got Lazarus. John remembers putting his arm around Mary and saying, they, they just aren't fair. Lazarus is such a good man. They, they just aren't fair. They, who knows? Sicknesses, fate, it was all he could think to say. But it's what happened after that he remembers now as he peers into another tomb where until recently one of his friends was lying. He remembers how Lazarus had come walking out of that tomb, dead for days, and yet somehow walking out of the tomb. Well, I say walking, he was stumbling because the linens were still wrapped around his feet tight, wrapped around his hands, wrapped around his eyes, all those trappings of death still hanging on him. He remembers Mary and Martha running to pull the linens from his eyes to see his eyes. It's the linens that John remembers now. They were still wrapped around him as if to say, death still clings to you, Lazarus. You beat it this once, but it'll come back. Death and darkness, they still cling to you like the linens. But there in Jesus' tomb, the linens are folded, and there's no body in sight. And Peter and John know just then that something different has happened here. John can't quite put his finger on it yet. Even though he says he believes, he doesn't quite know what resurrection really means. 
He doesn't quite know what Jesus meant when he said, tear down this temple and I'll build it again in three days. He hasn't quite figured that out. But as he steps out of the darkness of that tomb and into the cool morning sun, out of the darkness of that tomb where those linens still lay folded, he can't help but think of that old Psalm. How did it go? Something like, even the darkness will not be dark to you. He smiles. Just wait till they hear about this. When they do, they deny it. They'll deny what Mary sees next, the angels, the risen body of Jesus, these powers, the deal and death and darkness. You know who I'm talking about. Those powers that want you to spend more, to be afraid of more, to be hopeless and depressed all the more. And so under their thumb all the time, they'll deny it. But Mary doesn't care. It's so hard to see in the dark, but do you remember what she says as she walks home in the light that day? I have seen the Lord. They will deny what Jesus does next, appearing to the disciples in an upper room that's locked, the doors locked. They say, bodies don't walk through locked doors. And they'll say, how many resurrected bodies do you know? Probably not many, but they'll deny it. They'll deny it when Thomas puts his fingers into Jesus' side and touches the holes in his hands. Even Jesus knows that that's enough for Thomas to believe, but it won't be enough for some of us. That Jesus could be touched, that he could be touched. That he wasn't just a ghost or an apparition. They, they all expected a resurrection in the end. That's what Martha expects of her brother, that he will be resurrected in the last day. But a resurrection now. You mean to tell me God has done a new thing in the midst of all this old? That there's a light shining in the midst of all this darkness? You mean to tell me God is doing a new thing right now? They had words for ghosts, but resurrection means a body, a dead body now full of life. It's a very particular word, resurrection, and it chokes going down for them. They'll deny it. Can't stomach it. Because if one person, if one person can beat them, beat darkness and death, the only tools that they really have, sickness, kings, economies, fate, politicians, powers, if God has done resurrection, then they're in trouble. If God has done resurrection, then Jesus is the Lord of the earth. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the giver of life. And they, they just don't measure up. If he is risen, then even they should bow as every knee will. And even they should confess as every tongue will that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father if he is risen. But they'll deny it. Always do. So they'll go looking for him. They'll go looking for that body. But the tomb's empty. There's no body at home. And there's no chance they've got the wrong address. This is the most watched, guarded tomb in the ancient world. So what they do is belittle Mary and the other women who saw Jesus first. Oh, you didn't really see Jesus. They say women, women, they're not trustworthy. And that's what they thought in that time. Oh, you can't believe women. But they can't shake the thought that if this story was made up, if it was something John had fabricated, he would have picked men to see Jesus instead of women. Unless, of course, those women really saw something. 
All they've got to do to stop this whole Christianity thing in its tracks is produce a body and they can't find it. The whole Roman and Jewish world combined can't find the body. And these witnesses keep popping up. First, there's just a few, and then there's hundreds, and over time, thousands who will die because they believe they saw the risen body of Jesus and not just a ghost. And die, they do for it. Maybe you remember that scene in Oscar Wilde's play, Salome, where Herod finds out that Jesus has been raising the dead. You remember what he says? Well, I don't wish him to do that. I forbid him to do that. I mean, I, I allow no man to raise the dead, right? This man must be found out and told him that I, I forbid him to raise the dead. Where is this man? Well, he's in every place, my Lord, the messenger says, but it's hard to find him. He's in every place. Like the night, as Kevin read earlier, where he appears to his disciples in that room the regal and risen Jesus. He's totally in control. They couldn't keep him in the tomb. They couldn't kill him on the cross. They couldn't stop him from rising from death into glorious light. They have no power over him. And John remembers now how particular Jesus was with his words because while all they could talk about, Mary and him and the other disciples, was they, Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. And then he breathes on us, his followers, the Holy Spirit, and he challenges us. He says, they hold no terror over us anymore. We're not to fear them anymore. We are in fact to forgive them. Or in other words, to offer them life, to be the people who now give them, they, give them resurrection. John remembers that. Even they need resurrection, he thinks. That's a hard message to deliver. Because in this post-Christian world, right, they deny that God exists. God's just a silly, he's a childish delusion, something to tell your kids before they go to bed to keep the boogeyman away, right? Religion, they say, well, that's kind of, that's just for the immature. You know, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. That the church, well, it's just, it's irrelevant. The resurrection, it could not possibly have happened. Well, so they say. But we, we know. We know the tomb is empty. We know that the trappings of death have been torn from his body and will never touch him again. We know that the powers of darkness are fading and that the light of the world now shines through each of us, the baptized, the resurrected, the city on a hill, the salt of the earth. We know that we will not sleep, not all of us, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and we will be changed. We know because he's risen, he's risen indeed. We know that Red's story is not over. We know that they didn't take him away. We know that when the roll is called up yonder, he'll be there. Or else who would paint the signs? How would we find the bait shop? If you're tired of they, you can join us. 
we're imperfect. We wear our resurrection in part. We see only as a reflection in a mirror, but one day we shall see face to face. And until that day, we rest in the promise of Jesus in John 20. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, right now we only know in part, but one day we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. Would you, would you like to join us? Better, would you like to join the resurrected Lord Jesus? Would you like to be raised to walk in newness of life, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit Jesus breathes onto his disciples that night in that room so long ago? It's quite a thing, the Holy Spirit. You might like it. They don't, but we do. If you'd like to try it on for size, the resurrection that is, then it's a great day to come down here to the front as we stand and sing and talk about baptism with me because it's Easter after all. And he's risen. He's risen indeed. Let's sing. Thank you for the cross, Lord. And thank you for the price you paid. Bearing all my sin.